James 2, beginning in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now when we last met, as we examined these precious words of Scripture, we spoke about in the verses just preceding this, this subtle nature of sin. And in particular, the subtle nature of the sin of partiality. About the way that subtlety can so easily become a part of our character. Especially, and especially here in the South, with the genteel nature of our Southern personality. And I said at our last meeting, I do love our Southern personality. It's so much friendlier than those of uh, our um, friends up North. I love the Southern personality. And we spoke, though, on how that subtlety of our partiality can get well hidden within our Southern charm. And often, uh, we ourselves are fooled uh, by its presence within us, and we're not aware that it's taking place. But we are doing those things and showing partiality. But this subtlety of partiality is just one more example of what God had been warning us about in some of the earlier verses in this book of James, where he told us about looking at ourselves in the mirror of his word and then turning away and quickly forgetting what we have just learned about ourselves. Let me read those verses for you. They're chapter 1, verse 22. There the Lord says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looked like. How true these words are, folks. And remember also that the apostle began this passage in verse 1 by addressing us, you and me, as brothers and sisters in Christ. He said there, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Those are not just friendly words of greeting, folks. They are intended to remind you and me exactly what that person looked like that we looked at in the mirror, what they were really like. That's who you're looking at in that mirror. We truly are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are born again. We are fully saved and sanctified. Sons and daughters of God. That is, if you have Christ as your Savior, that's who you're looking at in that mirror. And as believers, we not only have the very person of the Holy Spirit living within us to guide us in our thoughts and in our behaviors, we also have what he said there in chapter 1. We have his precious word implanted within our souls. It is there. So that makes us doubly accountable to remember the things that we're being told and not to walk away and just simply forget it. But we're to conduct ourselves 
as people, as children of God, as we walk in amongst what he calls here our neighbors. May I take a moment and emphasize the words that I just said because too often we see the occurrences of our day and the people that we encounter as just some matter of random happenstance. How many times have you said, have you heard people say, guess who I bumped into today? But is that true? Is what just took place with us in bumping into that person, is that just a happenstance? How often is that a happenstance? And how often is it an orchestrated event providentially put in place by God? Folks, if there's one thing that we know for sure about God, it is that He really is intentional. And He's always intentional. Our Westminster Confession of Faith tells us that God is the first cause of all that takes place. Yes, you and I and our behaviors are involved in the second causes. And it may look like we or someone else has just orchestrated a situation that we're involved in. But that's not so, folks. That's not so according to these scriptures. God is always sovereign and He is always providential and His presence and His hand is in every occurrence of the day and it is always first. But what is our part? And that's what he's talking about here. What is our part? What are we supposed to do about the people and the situations that we encounter each day? And especially considering the nature and the propensity to quickly forget all that we've just heard and learned about ourselves in that mirror of God's Word. There's a buzzword that has become popular in our culture over recent years. And I don't often subscribe to cultural buzzwords. But this one seems to be appropriate for this particular matter. And the word is proactive. Proactive. As for our part in the activities of the day, all those things that come to us just appear to be coincidental or happenstance. I'm convinced that God would have you and me to be as intentional as He is and to be proactive as we engage in what He calls here this very special principle and He even calls it a command that He's putting forth to us today and that is one of love. Of love. That of having and showing love to our neighbors. So then you and I, unawares, are involved in walking through our day and we have this thing that occurs that we're not planning. What is to be our response to that? In this context, it's our neighbor. Our neighbor is, by the way, anybody that you encounter on any given day at any time. God says, I want you to be proactive. Doesn't use that word, by the way. But this word proactive is so appropriate when you consider what He is commanding you and me to do. It is this matter of love. Love is never, never a passive response. If your love is a passive response, you don't have love. Love is always assertive and proactive. That's what God would have us to do as we encounter these circumstances that come to us unawares. He wants us to start with our love for Him and then that flows on out into love for our neighbor. So then, as the circumstance that God is presenting to us here in this passage unfolds, what are we to do with that kind of circumstance? Here a rich man in this scripture comes into a church. Will we treat him differently than we would treat a poor man who comes in? We talked about that in last, the last message or the one before that. But what about other times? What is your response? I drove by a man the other day 
I could not get over to near, near to where he was, but I drove by him and he was standing there with one of those signs that says, we'll work for food. What is your, the response of your mind to that neighbor? What is your response to that neighbor? What about someone in your workplace? I'm retired now, so I don't have too many that I run into. But what is your response to that neighbor? Because that's a neighbor. What about as you're walking down the aisle over at Walmart? What is the response of your mind when you see somebody that looks perhaps wealthy and then you go on down the aisle and you pass by a person that looks like they really need a bath? What is the response of your mind? Are you and I to assume sort of a passive role where we just walk on by them? Or we wait on them, if the situation dictates, we wait on them to make the first move, to approach us. Or should we always, should we always have a plan in place in our minds and be aggressively proactive in carrying out that plan? Now we talked here a couple of weeks ago about what would we do if someone came in these doors and said to us, I have a family out in the car and we're hungry. Can you give us some money? I believe that a similar occurrence has taken place here, but it took place in a church that I was speaking at up in North Mississippi. I was embarrassed because I didn't have a plan. We developed a plan. We have to be so proactive that we know what we're going to do beforehand so that we know how to respond to that person that comes in and says, I'm hungry. What are we going to do? What do they need a place to stay? That's scary, especially when you consider, should I take them home with me? and you don't know them. But would you be willing at least to take them out on the highway to the motel? Pay for a night's lodging. Whatever the plan is that God brings to you and me, we need to put it in place, and we need to be proactive in carrying out that plan. And let me give us another warning. Our plan should not be to not do things. So often we approach matters in that way we would think, okay, I really do not want to show partiality or I don't want to be uncaring. What God is telling us to do here is to not develop a plan of not doing things. He's telling us to be doers of His Word, trying not to do things, trying not to sin, trying not to say the wrong thing. never works out very well. At least it doesn't for me. In this matter of love, our plan needs to be aggressively proactive to show and to do good things, loving things, being doers of God's Word. That's the only formula that really does work. I like to say that again. The plan that God has put into place in this matter of love is always a plan to move forward and to do things, right things, giving, making provision. Why? It's because that is the nature of Christ. And you and I are in the image of Christ. How do you love your neighbor? Let me commend a book that's very close to you. It's in your Bible. It's 1 John. 1 John tells you all about how to love your neighbor and gives you some warnings about what you shouldn't do. But I do commend that book to you. And please note also that in this circumstance that is presented to us here in these particular scriptures, there's only two choices that is offered to us. The choice to love or the choice to sin. Listen to these words, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. Only two options. 
Now I want to emphasize again that yes, these instructions about how one person should treat another person, they are right and they're good for anyone, believers and unbelievers alike, because everyone is held accountable for how we treat our neighbor. But here in these words, God is not addressing the general public. He is specifically addressing you and me as Christians to do as His beloved adopted children, members of His household, ought to do. And folks, let me warn us. As His children, there are different expectations of us than than is expected from the culture out there. As true sons, we are accountable to carry on the family business. Remember those words of the Lord Jesus? He was 12 years old, and He was there in the temple. And His mom and dad came looking for Him. And He said, Don't you know that I need to be about my Father's business? That's what you and I are to be doing in this. We're to be about our Father's business. And folks, listen, with our new redeemed nature, once we have received Christ as our Savior, we now have the ability to do the things like we've never done them before. Listen to these words in 2 Peter. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Oh, there's so much in those words. As soon as you see that sign that says, we'll work for food. Folks, too often the first thought that comes into my mind, probably into yours, is why don't he get a job? Why don't he do this or that? Through these, he says, through these great and precious promises, he's given us this so that you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Our first thoughts are often so wrong, but his divine power has put within us all that we need to think right thoughts immediately when we see that sign or we see that person walking towards us. The new nature that God has put within us truly has equipped us with a comportment, with a behavior that is everything that we could possibly need for all those unannounced circumstances that we run into on occasion. Folks, often as we read these words, we think that God is speaking about something that we're to work towards, as, as He has instructed us to do when He tells us to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that is true. We are to work towards those things. But I want to reemphasize again that God has already put within us all that we need to know. Yes, we'll learn more from Scripture, but He has put His divine nature within us. And so we're without excuse. He's already put it within us. Yes, we have to work it out, but we already have it within us. And yes, even as I say these words, I can remember so well how I continually fall short. But though I fall short, I still know that this is all true and possible for me and you if we will do as these scriptures say, walk in Christ. Thankfully, I can see a little bit of a change between those first days of my Christian walk. And I know that you're improving. And He'll do that. And you and I need to remind ourselves constantly that He does not give us, God does not give us commands, that He does not give us everything that it takes to carry them out. 
All you and I need to do is take that first step forward. But we must take that step. We must be proactive. If we don't take that step, if we are passive lovers, His will will not be done. We'll not be doing what we're supposed to be doing. I'm convinced that if you and I'll take that first step, that then He enables that next step and the next and the next. And folks, listen, this plan that He has, while it has many facets to it, its basic parts are very simple. His plan is that we would love Him first, and you got to do that first. You got to love Him first, and then to love others. He tells us that. These are verses you've heard many, many times, but I want to read them again. Matthew 22. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. I love that last verse, by the way, because he says if we'll do the first two, if we'll love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we'll love our neighbor, then all of those other things that we ought to be doing will be getting done automatically as we carry out those first two. Practically speaking, folks, if we'll busy ourselves with the doing of God's command to love, we'll be so busy doing so busy giving love that we'll not have time to be concerned about being judgmental and showing partiality and all of these other problems and sins that we seem to want to hold dear. And the whole solution lies in this simple act of love, he's telling us, loving our Lord and loving our neighbors. Now may I take an opportunity here to point out something that God appears to be saying in this passage. Here God very intentionally makes a contrast and a comparison between showing partiality, which by the way, you and I do this on a regular basis. He says it's a, it's a contrast and a comparison between showing partiality and that of being guilty of murder and adultery. Now for some of us, that kind of comparison is going to seem like an overstated comparison. Most of us would never think that just simply being partial is as evil and as wicked as adultery and murder. But we have to understand we're not working with what we believe sin is. We have to know and understand what God calls sin. Let me reread our text today. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself, then you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin. And you are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy. And by the way, Perhaps next week or the week after, we're going to talk about this verse. This is a powerful verse. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In these words, God is making some simple statements about his definition of sin. He wants you and me to hear and understand from his perspective what sin is all about. And the verse that you already know is that the wages of sin is death. From his perspective, the wages of any sin is death. And you and I really must not try to redefine God's laws and his commands. 
you and I need to instead join him in his definition and his regard for sin. And let me give you a simply put understanding of what the definition of sin is from these scriptures. God tells us that sin takes place whenever we show any lack of conformity to or any transgression of the laws of God. When you and I hold back and don't conform to the laws of God, or we step across that boundary and we get very active in, in um, sinning, whichever one. Sometimes we call those omission, sins of omission, sins of commission. Whatever they are, the wages of sin is death. From these words that we're studying today and from other words like them, we learn that God's regard for sin is that they do deserve eternal death and hell as the punishment for any of them. Can you accept that? might not seem right to you, but from his perspective, any sin deserves eternal death. Now, yes, these scriptures do give us reason to believe that there's some greater punishments in hell for the more heinous of sins. But folks, listen. Hell is still hell. And hell is a sure and certain punishment for any form of sin, no matter how we might judge some sin as being worse than another. So many people today, so many people today in our culture, they're terribly confused, even within our Christian culture. There are these words that I can recall all the way back when I was a teenager hearing them. What is true for you may not be true for me, but what is true for me may not be true for you. Folks, listen, God does not think that way. There's not two forms of truth. There's only one. I want to remind you and me that we do not have the right, nor the privilege, nor the intellect, or the responsibility to define truth. You recall that option was the one that Adam and Eve took there in the garden. And you'll know from that that their decision, that one sinful decision, has left us in this destructive condition that we're in today. There's only one truth, only one definition of right and wrong. And God is the one who gives that definition. So often you'll hear, even coming out of your own mouth, I have out of mine. Well, I believe, and you're going to say what you believe. Folks, most of the time, that's not going to end well. We need to believe what God has said is truth, and that only. Now let me give you another consideration. You and I do so much want to go to heaven when our time on this earth is done. And heaven is a perfectly pure and holy place without even one molecule of sin in it. And no sin no matter how small or how great we might deem it to be, will ever be permitted to enter heaven. Because of that, before any of us will ever be permitted to enter heaven, every vestige, every vestige of sin must first be removed from our souls. Whether our sin be a sin of showing partiality, or perhaps the more heinous forms of sin, adultery, murder, even the greatest of sins, and that is of not loving the Lord our God with all of our heart and not loving our neighbor. Sin is sin, and it is a line that you and I should never cross. But thanks be to God, thanks be to God, when we do, He has generously provided a remedy for our sin. And we are so glad that He has. God calls that remedy propitiation. It's a word that I've never used outside of talking about Scripture. But it is so important to you and me. 
His remedy is propitiation. This offering of His blood shed as a sacrifice to pay for and to remove our sins. And He has generously and freely given that gift of His cleansing propitiation to anyone who will believe and receive Him as their Savior. Praise be to God. And we're nearing the end. I'd like to give one other thought about love. I read the Scriptures a moment ago that said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus came along later and added to that. Listen to what He says to us in John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's a very special command that He was giving to His disciples. Disciples like you and me. And He's saying here that as you and I grow and mature in Him, our love for other people will also grow and mature. And as that takes place, we'll find that we will desire to love other people even more. Even more than we love ourselves. We'll love them the way Jesus loves them. Now, isn't that a wonderful thought? Let me close reading three verses. From 1 John four twenty. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And also from 1 John 4, familiar verse for most of us. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then finally from John fourteen twenty one, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let's pray.